Compatible smartphone required. Nick Abbott on LBC. Call 0345 6060 973. Uh, more of your thoughts on uh, the problem of misogyny in schools these days to come. 0345 6060 973. But first, let's go to America and talk to LBC's US correspondent Simon Marks, who joins us from Washington, D.C. Hello, Simon. Evening, Nick. So, uh, Joe Biden's been uh, very busy today. What's he been doing? He's been very busy today because he had the congressional leadership in at the White House. This was his first opportunity to do so since the House of Representatives deigned to return from a two-week recess with the clock ticking down to a partial government shutdown at the end of this week. So again? There's enor- yet again. And then there's another full government shutdown a few days after that. I mean, we're once again in this uh, wash rinse repeat cycle of life in washington dc um and of course what joe biden uh, really wants congress to do is to pass uh, funding bills that will not only keep the government open uh, but will also send 60 billion dollars in fresh military support to ukraine and uh, that bill has been passed by the united states senate 22 republicans uh, crossed donald trump uh, and dared to side with Democrats voting for that funding bill. But the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Mike Johnson, is so far unwilling to bring it to a vote in the House of Representatives. Were he to bring it up for a vote, it would undoubtedly pass because there's enough moderate Republicans who would side with Democrats to drag it across the finishing line. But Johnson knows that if he puts it to a vote, he may face an uprising by the Donald Trump uh, caucus within the House of Representatives the far right in the Republican Party uh, House caucus who may seek to oust Mike Johnson from the Speaker's chair. Now, we're told that today's meeting was intense. That was the word that Senator Charles Schumer, the uh, Democrats' leader in the Senate, the Senate Majority Leader, used to describe the discussion about Ukraine. He is just back from a visit to Ukraine. Uh, President Biden turned to him at the beginning of the meeting uh, and said that uh, Senator Schumer had told him upon returning from Ukraine that the situation for Volodymyr Zelensky's forces was becoming dire because of the absence uh, of American financial and military support. And indeed, Senator Schumer is said during the meeting to have said that the Ukrainians believe that unless this money is voted, they will not succeed in their battle uh, to push Russian forces out of their country. So very high stakes. But Mike Johnson emerged from this meeting, the Speaker of the House of Representatives saying that he's confident that we're going to avert a partial government shutdown, but that his top priority is not spending money on Ukraine, but getting Joe Biden to agree to crack down on illegal immigration across America's southern border and tighten procedures there. So that suggests that Johnson might be positioning himself to try and do a deal uh, to keep the government open without any funding in it for Ukraine, which of course is exactly what happened last October when the former Speaker of the House of Representatives, Kevin McCarthy, did a deal with the White House to keep the government open and stripped Ukraine funding out of the legislation, promising that he'd bring Ukraine funding up for a vote a few days later. He never got the chance because the Donald Trump wing in the Republican Party in the House of Representatives threw him out on his ear and we had those endless uh, votes 
votes uh, to try and determine who <laughs> Kevin McCarthy's successor was going to be as Speaker. So yeah. all of this indicates, you know, once again, a degree of ungovernability here and tremendous uncertainty about whether the government's going to continue functioning, much less whether the Ukrainians are going to get any money. And the Israelis are due money in this budget as well, is that right? That's right, about 35 billion. I think 60 billion goes to the Ukrainians, 35 billion goes to the Israelis. I mean, uh, half the money, of course, goes to America's defence manufacturers yeah. to start uh, replenishing the stocks that have already been used. The White House said today that on the Israel uh, matter, uh, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, is now looking at the possibility of unfreezing $300 billion in Russian assets uh, that the United States might seek to ferry to Ukraine in some fashion. It was suggested that they're looking at the possibility of using that money uh, to buy weaponry for Ukraine, also looking at the possibility of using that Russian money uh, to set it aside for the eventual rebuilding of Ukraine. Now, they're still not clear whether they've got the relevant authority to do all of that, but it does indicate growing anxiety both over Ukraine uh, and support for Israel uh, with the clock ticking and the, this funding bill stuck in the pipeline in the House of Representatives. So by, by assets, do you mean actual cash money or these yeah. are like yachts they haven't sold Well, yet? it's a bit of both. It's actual right. cash money and it's yachts and uh, some of the uh, ill-gotten gains of Russian oligarchs mm. that were seized by the United States when they started imposing sanctions uh, back in 2022 after the beginning of Russia's war on Ukraine. So they've got $300 billion either in cold hard cash or in money that could be uh, quickly uh, uh, realized mm. by selling things that they uh, confiscated and uh, took away from uh, Russians that were targeted by sanctions but had assets in the United States. Yeah. And essentially what they're saying is they're going to use this Russian money to assist Ukraine in its war against Russia and or to assist Ukraine to rebuild as a result of Russia's aggression. It's a, it's a bit push-me-pull-you, isn't it? Because am I right in thinking that Trump doesn't want the, uh, the budget signed off because it, even if it did um, uh, allow for um, you know, security on the border, because he wants that to be his thing. Well, that's exactly the irony of what happened today. Mike Johnson emerged from this meeting saying, my priority is not Ukraine, it's tightening procedures at the border. And I've told the president, he's got to get serious about this. Well, before they went on recess two weeks ago, there was a deal in place between Republicans on Capitol Hill and the White House uh, to uh, that would have seen President Biden compromise and tighten uh, some of the procedures on the border, basically giving in to the Republicans in order to undo the block on this funding and then Donald Trump moved in and said to Republicans on Capitol Hill do not back this deal because I don't want anything changing on the border this side of the election. It serves his purposes for there to be chaos on the border and for him to point to the Biden administration and say they're responsible for it and it also serves his purposes he thinks should he be re-elected 
uh, in November to return to office and then, lo and behold, he'll tackle the issue of the border. So Johnson was saying we've got to prioritise the border. Two weeks after, he did prioritise the border and then got torpedoed by Donald Trump. So Trump doesn't want them to do anything yeah. on the border. He doesn't want any money going to Ukraine. He basically wants to freeze them in aspic, keep this uh, tortuous discussion going on because he thinks that that helps his election prospects. Right. Um, what's happening in Michigan? Primaries uh, today. We're waiting uh, for the uh, voting to start, the the, uh, the results to start coming in. Uh, we know exactly what's going to happen on the Republican side of the aisle. Mm. Uh, Donald Trump was 60 percentage points ahead of Nikki Haley uh, in all the polls leading up to today's primary contest. He's clearly going to win it convincingly. And once again, there'll be a whole raft of questions about whether she's really, really, really serious about staying staying in until next Tuesday, which under normal circumstances would be called Super Tuesday, but under the circumstances of this particular particular election feels like a bit of a dyspeptic Tuesday. On the Democrat side, we're in for a very interesting evening because Michigan, as you know, has got a substantial Arab-American population. Uh, many members of that population and many left-wing Democrats are deeply unhappy with President Biden's backing of Israel and his handling of the crisis uh, in the region since October the 7th and now, of course, Israel's uh, reprisals against Gaza. And those Democrats have the opportunity in Michigan today to vote uncommitted. They can actually pick uncommitted as a choice hmm. and so one of the questions we're going to be looking at when the results come in is just how much trouble is joe biden facing in michigan because it is a crucial battleground state in this november's election and were the white house to conclude that it was essentially lost that narrows their options as they seek in November to put together the magic formula that allows Biden to win in the election in the electoral college. You know that rather odd middleman yeah. that exists between the electorate and the presidency. So all eyes at the White House tonight, definitely on that Democrat primary, Democratic Party primary in Michigan. Even though, to all intents and purposes, Joe Biden faces no meaningful opposition. Yes. Now, there was a survey um, done just recently about who uh, the Democratic voters would prefer if it was not uh, going to be Joe Biden, or, or rather, would they prefer Joe Biden or somebody else? And um, I think most people said Joe Biden, but coming up quite hard on his heels was, um, well, somebody that we're familiar with. Yes, absolutely. Uh, first Lady, former First Lady, Michelle Obama, the number one choice in this Rasmussen survey to take over from Joe Biden if Joe Biden decides uh, to step aside or is in any other fashion derailed between now and November. Michelle Obama, uh, more popular than Vice President Kamala Harris, more popular than former First Lady Hillary Clinton, although I don't see any indication that she'd <laughs> vaguely be interested no. in uh, doing that all over again. And interestingly, more popular than Gavin Newsom, the very yeah. telegenic governor of California. The difficulty, of course, with all of this is that while Michelle Obama has said she is 
terrified about the outcome of this November's election. She's also consistently said she has absolutely no desire to dip her toe into political waters. So unless she's got a deeply, deeply concealed political ambition that she's not shared with the public at all, this poll is aspirational. And it does reflect the fact that, you know, every single night millions of Democrats go to bed hoping that a way might be found to replace Joe Biden as the party's candidate this November, mm. and in in this case, dreaming of Michelle Obama. Why do you think Gavin Newsom, because as you say, he, he looks great on TV, he looks like, um, who's that California surfer dude actor? who he uh, resembles uh, oh, very much. David Hasselhoff, the Baywatch guy. <laughs> no, <laughs> no uh, the, the mumbling guy. Any, anyway, it, it doesn't really matter. But he, I'm stuck he, in the 80s, mate. He, 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 you really are. He, um, he, he looks great on TV. He looks like a sort of a television drama's version of a politician. Why is he, why did he come last in that poll? Well, I think it's really because of the concern that people have about his handling of governing in California, uh, which is a state that has got all sorts of difficulties, uh, particularly in some of its major conurbations, including Los Angeles and California. Uh, he may also just be a little bit too slick right. uh, for Democrats nationally. And also, there's the possibility of name recognition here. If you say to people, Michelle Obama, Hillary Clinton, Kamala Harris or Gavin Newsom, I mean, the one they're least likely to, heard of, to have heard of might be Gavin Newsom. So I think all of those things may be playing into it. Um, I believe that the New York judge that was the uh, Donald Trump uh, nemesis, the one that was uh, overseeing his fraud trial, is uh, posting something amusing on Twitter. What, what, what's she posting? Yeah, this is New York Attorney General Letitia James. She, of course, is Donald Trump's uh, prosecutor in that civil fraud lawsuit that resulted uh, in uh, the judge in the case imposing a $454 million fine on the Trump organization. So every day now, she is updating her Twitter feed with the latest size of the fine because for every day that you don't pay the penalty, compound interest applies. So every single day, the amount of money that Donald Trump owes increases by $114,553.04. Wow. So uh, every currently... Day. <laughs> every day. So currently, the last time she tweeted, she hasn't tweeted it today, but uh, the last time she tweeted yesterday, the uh, the total sum stood at $464,805,336.70, while Donald Trump continues trying to figure out not how he's going to pay this fine within the 30-day period allowed, but how he's going to come up with, with a bond to cover the costs of paying the fine while he goes through the appeals process that he's now launched. I bet he doesn't pay 70 cents. No, no mind yeah, about yeah. the 464 million. He'll show up and pay the 464 million in pennies. <laughs> <laughs> um, Texas is on fire. It is on fire. It's quite nasty what's taking place in the Texas panhandle, uh, which is, as the name suggests, if you've ever seen a map of Texas, the bit in the north that looks like a panhandle. There is a wildfire called the Smokehouse 
Creek Fire uh, that has basically burnt through a quarter of a million acres uh, since uh, it began on Monday. There are evacuations taking place uh, in parts of the area. It's about an hour and a half northeast of the city of Amarillo. You've got uh, quotes from uh, people in one uh, small city that's been evacuated saying that the town looks like Armageddon uh, and obviously concerns about how far and how fast this fire is going to spread as the authorities try to bring it under control. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has issued a disaster declaration relating uh, to this fire, which is the fifth largest in state history so far. Wow and growing i think uh, I, I think joe biden may have signed a federal may have approved a federal declaration of emergency as as well uh, and of course you know once again people will be relating this to climate change mm. and uh, that could prove problematic for people who are skeptical about the causes of climate change like the aforementioned governor of texas greg abbott yeah it's I mean, it's uh, ironic that it's happening in texas mm. of course it's like the center for oil drilling in america and i believe that they don't they have uh, something like 60 mile an hour winds that are adding to the problem though. yes yes well that of course is spreading the blaze the the, the topography there is totally flat mm. very dry uh, most of the time and the ability for these fires in heavy winds to spread dramatically is substantial which is why i think they're so concerned about what this could do yeah i drove across texas well i drove across america in august and uh, you get to Texas and you drive 500 miles and the scenery doesn't change. You could have all. a spirit level on the dashboard. And <laughs> exactly. It, it's just yeah. amazing. Yeah. Mile after mile after mile of complete flat. Yes. Good to talk to you, Simon, as always. Thanks for Cheers, that. Nick. Simon Marks, LBC's Washington correspondent.